Um, but we missed you guys terribly, and uh, you know, I had a great Christmas, had a great New Year's, but uh, really missed all you guys, so great to be back. Um, today we are starting our new series. We're going to do a six-week series on the book of Malachi. And um, so I am uh, doing the intro, the first five verses here. We're going to dig into those and just kind of um, get some direction for where we're headed in the next uh, six weeks or so. Um, what, are the, what are the books called the prophets? Um, where does Malachi lie within the scope of Scripture? Now, I'm a, I'm a very systematic thinker, so I wanted to pull this way back first and, and start big picture. Um, so big picture, see if we can get this guy working today. Um, we have the, the divisions of the books of the Old Testament. Um, yeah, I don't know if this is going to work here. Um, oh, man, and it changed my font and everything. I had it looking so cool. All right, that's got to roll with it. Um, uh, the books called the prophets are the last section of the Old Testament. So we have the books of the law, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then we have the books of history, which is Joshua through Esther. Um, click. Then we have uh, the books of poetry, which uh, are Job through the Song of Solomon. And then we have the books of the prophets, which is Isaiah through Malachi. Um, um, go, go ahead to the next slide there. Um, Within the books of the prophets, then, those last books uh, of the Old Testament, um, we're going to kind of divide them, or, or I want to kind of present them divided up as pre-exilic, exilic, and post-exilic. I don't want to go over people's heads. That was over my head. Um, so let me explain that. Um, there was a period in the history of Israel in which they were in captivity for seven years um, under the Babylonians. Um, so you have that 70-year stretch there. You have uh, the, the books of the prophets that were written before they went into captivity, which you'll see, those are the pre-exilic books. And out of the 17 prophets, most of them um, fall within the, the, pre-exilic, um, the, the pre-exilic books. Then you have the exilic uh, prophet books, which are just Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And, then, and, and those are written, of course, during their exile under the Babylonians, and then you have the post-exilic books, which are Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, written afterwards. So that's where we're following with the book of Malachi. Um, Who were the men called the prophets? Well, the word prophet comes from the word that means to announce. Um, The prophets of the Old Testament were men that acted as mouthpieces for God to announce his message to men. Um, there's, a, there's a, a broader and a narrower meaning of the word prophecy um, that uh, I think it was when I was reading through some of Nor- Norman Geisler's notes, he mentioned that. Um, the broader meaning of the word prophecy is um, forth-telling, and then the narrower meaning is foretelling. And what he means by that, um, and it helped to make a lot of sense to me, um, the prophets were by and large, coming to communicate God's message to the people and, uh, and communicate, um, just communicate God's truth to the people. Um, they also came to foretell things that were to come that God told them, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Um, and so I think a lot of times, initially, when we think prophecy, 
we automatically think, well, they were, they were making prophecies of things that were to come that were going to happen. Well, that's true. The Old Testament prophets did that. Um, but they also simply came to communicate God's truth to the people and, um, for the here and now. Um, I think that's important when it, uh, when it comes to even our um, understanding of prophecy in the church today. Um, you know, you, you'll hear people say, well, the gift of prophecy still exists. No, it doesn't. Well, um, uh, and, and this, is, this is just me talking. I would entertain that in the sense that there are people, I think, that God lays on their hearts to um, communicate God's truth to people and, and um, exhort people with his word. Um, at least I know many believers that um, I, I think it's probably more of a gift that God lays on their hearts to speak some scripture to somebody. Understand, they're not... Uh, prophesying things to come um, as the Old Testament prophets were. But um, it's possible that in that sense, take it or leave it, there are people that, that are gifted with that, I think, of exhorting believers. So maybe, maybe we can just leave it at exhortation. Um, but anyways, that understanding of prophecy helps me when we're going into this study of Malachi and, and where it falls within the books of Scripture and, and what the purpose of uh, these men's uh, ministry was. To God's people. Um, the name Malachi, uh, interestingly enough, means my messenger. Um, some commentators note that there are, there are um, some Christians who believe that this was just a generic nomenclature, that, um, it, uh, that it, it was a generic name for whoever the person was that spoke on behalf of God to the Israelites um, in, in this book. Um, more than likely, though, it's an actual, the, the person's actual name, Malachi, and he was God's messenger. And, and if you look through all the names of the prophets, it's interesting. There's a lot of meaning behind their names and what God had called them to do. So, um, so I think it, uh, we should go into this uh, with the understanding that there was a, an actual man named Malachi called by God to speak this message to the Israelites during the post-exilic period. All right, so now we've got our uh, now we've got our um, our perspective here. Now, um, in spite of the fact that the prophets lived in different times and under different circumstances, there are some major themes that pull together all the books of the prophets. Um, and um, I want to go through those. And um, Sam, those are the next slides. Um, the prophets assert that God had spoken through them. All right, they, they claim in their books that uh, these are the, the written word of God. They're not coming to speak on behalf of themselves. Uh, they're coming to speak on behalf of God as his spokesman. Um, and um, I, it's important to note, too, that, that God wanted the people to test the prophets, too, and even outline ways that they could... Uh, know whether or not this was truly a man sent from God or whether this was somebody coming in his own name to try to do his own work and, you know, whatever. Um, but these, these men claim to come um, and be God's spokesman to the people and, and bring God's message to them. And they declared God's message in two ways. Um, you have the written or the verbal message. So we have the books of the prophets, and, um, and we, we have recorded their verbal communication, their message to the people at that time. Um, there were also some cases where God uses, uh, used um, symbolic communication. For instance, um, the prophet Isaiah went naked and barefoot for three years, 
to teach God's people their future if they continue to seek help from other nations rather than from God. Um, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm convinced uh, Isaiah didn't read the job description before he accepted that one because uh, that's not uh, something I think I'd be uh, interested in doing for, for ministry. Um, then we also have the case of Hosea, um, who... Um, God asked Hosea to marry um, unfaithful Gomer, which, um, uh, you know, which was an, an unfortunate circumstance, but God used that um, to portray God's unfailing love for unfaithful Israel. And it's, it's a beautiful picture, really. So we see there are some examples of symbol used as well in the ways that the prophets communicated to the people. Um, second of all... Um, Another key theme is that the prophets affirm that God chose Israel for covenant relationship. Um, this was God's chosen people, and that came with special privileges. Um, I mean, you're God's chosen people. Um, you're the ones that he desires to bestow his blessing upon. But it also comes with special responsibilities, and, uh, which God had outlined. Um, so the prophets came to affirm, first of all, that that Israel was still and always God's chosen people. Um, but the prophets, and this is the third uh, theme I wanted to mention, the prophets most often report that the majority of Israel <laughs> has sinned against their God and his standards for their relationship. Um, we see that throughout the, all, all the books of the prophets. Um, um, another key theme is that the prophets warn that judgment will eradicate sin. Um, we just finished our series on the attributes of God, and we spent some time talking about God's holiness and God's justice and um, the fact that God needs to punish sin. Um, he is holy. And um, the prophets came to warn the Israelites and say, you are living in sin. You have strayed from God's standards for his relationship with you, and, um, and there will be punishment. But there is a plea for them to turn from that sin to repent to God and to get right with God. Um, and so the last point is uh, that the prophets promised that renewal lies beyond the day of punishment that had already occurred in history for those, those people, that day of punishment, uh, to um, fulfill that message for Israel at that time, um, and beyond the coming day that will bring history as we know it to a close. Um, and that's the day we look forward to um, with them, that uh, there will be a day of renewal. There will be a day when sin is completely eradicated from the face of the earth, and, um, and we see God's final justice. Um, of course, we, uh, we see that at the cross, and um, to, you know, we could go down the, we could get into the whole theology of, of that, but that's the day we look forward to is when, uh, when our Lord is coming back for us. Um, that's the background I wanted to give. Um, again, kind of go from a broad perspective, narrow it in so we understand, okay, here's where the book of Malachi lies within the scope of Scripture. Um, historically, too, I kind of wanted to understand and refresh my mind of what the picture, you know, what the picture was at that time. Um, I mentioned that uh, Israel was in captivity for 70 years under the Babylonians. Um, and... Uh, as um, um, God allowed them to come out from under that captivity, um, they returned to Jerusalem to, uh, first to build the altar in the temple, rebuild, I should say, the altar in the temple, 
And then um, under Nehemiah's leadership, they went and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Huge undertaking. Um, but Nehemiah is an amazing book, um, especially just uh, studying his principles of leadership in that. Um, so they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Well, now um, they, you know, the, the temple is rebuilt. The walls are rebuilt. God's people are back um, back in their, uh, in their homeland, in their home city. Now, less than 20 years later, they're already straying from God's principles, um, his standards for relationship once again. And that's where Malachi comes in. Um, the, the people were falling into um, just a, a social, a, not social, a spiritual apathy um, and, uh, and just compromising God's standards. Even the priests were um, becoming apathetic in their spiritual duties. So Malachi is coming to address the people uh, about these things. Okay, that's, that's it for the background um, on Malachi. Um, I would encourage you, even as we get into this study, um, the book of Malachi is just four chapters. Even this week, if you have a chance, read through it two or three times just to get... Uh, just to get a good idea of what we're going to be studying over the next few weeks and some of the things that, that God's going to touch on um, with us through this book. Um, um, Sam, go ahead to the, the next. Just leave that one blank for a second here. Um, so I've got the first five verses um, of the book. And um, how long can you talk about five verses um, of one of the minor prophets? Well, I'm going to find out. Um, no, I, I, um, I'm actually going to let you guys in on a little secret here. Um, I, and, and, and we're kind of starting our, our uh, we had our, our background of Malachi, and now I'm kind of gearing towards our main point um, as we go into the book. Um, I, I don't enjoy discipline. Um, in fact, I never have. I think um, ever since I was old enough to recognize what discipline was, uh, I haven't enjoyed it. Um, for instance, uh, I remember a time, in fact, I think I was sharing with some of you recently about this. I remember when I was young, um, we had tons of Legos, I mean tons of Legos, and we'd, uh, we'd pull them out, play them at our kitchen table, and just have Lego cities strewn all over the place. And our, our friends from the neighborhood loved that. So they'd come up and play Legos with us. And I had these two buddies, um, good guys, um, but came from a little different home background, um, uh, a single-parent home, and their mom kind of let them do whatever they wanted. They weren't bad kids, but they, they didn't have as much supervision as we had. And, and even, you know, she, she had certain guidelines for inside their home, but outside that, the, you know, she didn't really care what they did. Um, so they were up hanging out with us, and so, you know, these are kind of the cool guys. They had a little more independence than I did, and... So I, I think I, I was tempted to uh, sort of uh, pretend that I was independent like them, too. And um, my mom, um, I went to grab something from the fridge and left the fridge door open. And I you know, went back to the table and playing with my buddies. And she said, oh, Ethan, uh, please, uh, please close the fridge door. And um, I was like, I don't want to close the darn fridge door. But I didn't say darn. Um, and she's like, oh, really? Um, well, there's the corner right there. You can sit there for the next 20 minutes. I was like, oh, <laughs> that was bad. That backfired big time. Um, totally embarrassing in front of my buddies. You know, I was trying to be cool and independent. And now I'm sitting in the corner while they're playing with my Legos. Um, 
but, uh, you know, not an enjoyable thing. And um, now, being disciplined was never enjoyable, but I did find some ways to exploit the experience. Um, meaning this, um, my, my parents were the sit-in-the-corner punishment parents. Um, you know, we were punished in other ways too, but that was our main, you know, if it was a minor infraction, go sit in the corner. Oh, come on. So um, there was one corner of our house, though, that was right next to the oven, and in the reflection in the oven, you could clearly see the TV, and you could still hear it in the other room. And, um, and my brother and sister, Micah and Leah, were uh, pretty young at the time and still drinking out of bottles. <laughs> um, and uh, so I would, uh, you know, if we got in trouble, we'd race for that corner. And then, I, you know, I'd sit there and, uh, hey, Micah, come over here, grab his bottle of apple juice. So I'd just be kicking back, sucking down some apple juice, watching TV. Um, you know, I, I found ways to get around the punishment. Or uh, another time, um, me and my brother Ben and my sister Arielle are all within three years of each other. So we got in, in trouble together a lot. And, um, and uh, if we really got in trouble, though, my dad wasn't afraid to uh, pull out the belts and, uh, and, uh, and discipline us accordingly. And I'm thankful that he did. Um, but uh, I remember one time, you know, he's like, all right, line up. And uh, who's going first? So I was like, I'll go first. I'll go first. Get it done with. So I go in there, get my spanking. And as I leave, I make some goofy face at my brother. And she's like, <laughs> he's like, you think this is funny? You get in here. And, you know, just, uh, I, you know, I walked away enjoying that uh, quite a bit. <laughs> Anyways, um, thanks, thanks to such experiences and many more like them, um, I tend to equate discipline with punishment. Um, and, and I want us to I want us to recognize the differences here before we get into this book. Um, punishment may be used as a means of discipline, but um, but um, discipline and punishment there's some differences. Punishment is the penalty or the consequence. Um, and, and when I consider the two, um, you know, punishment is the actual sitting in the corner or the actual um, uh, belt on the old rear. Um, discipline, though, is the purpose that the punishment is administered. Um, uh, discipline is the teaching or correction that your parents or whoever is trying to accomplish. Um, they're correcting some behavior there that needs to be changed. Um, they're, they're teaching you and trying to move you in a certain direction that you're supposed to be headed in. Um, interestingly, um, the Portuguese word, uh, or the Portuguese, the Portuguese cognate of our word discipline, disciplina, is used um, in reference to um, like school courses or studies. Um, like in, in, you take a college course, you take a, a disciplina. Um, you're learning, you're studying, um, you're being taught. Um, that's your discipline. Um, so uh, that helps me to understand that word too as we, we find it in Scripture and, and understand what is the purpose of God's discipline. Um, well, we talked about, uh, you know, the, the fact that discipline isn't enjoyable. And I, I think it's safe to assume that none of us enjoy being disciplined. Um, safe to assume? Anybody here really enjoy a good throttling when you were a kid? No. Okay. I didn't think so. Well, the Bible recognizes this. Um, and Sam, that's the next slide. Hebrews 12:11 says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. But go ahead and click the next one. Fortunately, the verse goes on to say, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
And if we consider the times in our lives when we were disciplined, um, hopefully we can recognize that the intended purpose of the discipline wasn't the, the uh, immediate pain or discomfort in and of itself, but it was correction in our wrongdoing. And I think we'll also realize that the ones administering the discipline overall were people who uh, cared for us greatly, uh, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, teachers, mentors, older brothers, Okay, maybe not older brothers, but um, they administered, administered their own type of discipline. Um, but you get the point. Um, and that brings me to my main point this morning, as we begin our study in Malachi, that God disciplines those he loves. And, of course, the main point is the one thing I didn't put on PowerPoint. Um, so so uh, etch that out in your mind. God disciplines those he loves. Um, Proverbs 3, 11, and 12 um, speak to us about this point. Um, Sam, that's the next uh, slide there. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Um, it was because God loved his people that he sent Malachi to preach a message of discipline to the people of Israel. Um, I suspect that the people of Israel were quite familiar with these verses from Proverbs. Um, and it was God's desire that they would not reject his message as he sent Malachi to, um, to uh, discipline them, offer this message of discipline. All right. Well, let's take a quick look at the first five verses of the book of Malachi. Um, Sam, you go ahead and uh, click the next one there. Um, Malachi 1, um, starting with the first few verses here. Um, let me turn there myself. Uh, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Um, it's interesting. Throughout the entire book, uh, Malachi uses this sort of question and answer. It's like he anticipates the the dubious response of the people, or maybe it's, maybe it's more of a sarcastic response. Um, he anticipates that and goes ahead and asks the question. So um, he, he, uh, on behalf of God, he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now he anticipates their response. But you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Um, as you recall, back in uh, Genesis 25, you have the story of Jacob and Esau, and um, Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. Um, Jacob receives the blessing, um, causes all sorts of problems and animosity between Jacob and Esau. Um, and um, down the road, uh, in Genesis 35, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Israel meaning he fights or persists with God. And um, as, as you read on from there in the Old Testament, you realize that, that that's a very telling name for God's chosen people through the, uh, through the years to come. He fights or persists with God. Um, and um, so these verses are pointing out, uh, you know, asking the people to recognize. Remember back... Jacob and Esau, um, uh, you're the people that have descended from Jacob, from Israel. Um, and, and I have loved you since the beginning. Um, 
I have, I have elected to love your people um, among all the other peoples um, around. Um, going on to the, the next slide there, verse, uh, verses 4 and 5. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down, and men will call them the wicked territory, and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Your eyes will see this, and you will say, the Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. Now, Edom was the people uh, that uh, were the direct descendants of Esau. And at this point, they were fierce enemies of the Israelites. So there's, uh, you know, these are the Israelites' enemies. Um, And um, apparently, just recently, they had suffered some sort of calamity that, uh, you know, the Edomites had been um, knocked down a few notches. Um, you know, this people that's antagonizing Israel, God calls to mind, do you remember what I did to the Edomites? Do you, do you not see how I'm protecting you and caring for you and watching over you? Um, and even though these Edomites, um, you know, I've beaten them down, and even though they say, we'll return and build up the ruins, um, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. Um, it reminds me of... Um, Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Um, You know, these guys, they can try to rebuild their city, uh, but it's not going to happen because the God is watching over the people of Israel and looking out for their best interests. And um, um, so they're going to be the cursed people. And that was God's promise back from um, way back from from Jacob and Esau and the initial initial division there. uh, Jacob was blessed, Esau was cursed, and Esau tried to win back his, his birthright with tears, um, uh, and, and it wasn't going to happen. Um, so God was faithful to, to uh, bless the people of Israel and faithful to love them, and he's, he's calling uh, their attention to the fact that he has demonstrated his love for them. Um, and that's, uh, I don't know the exact purpose of why God started off with that, but I know when you're, when you're confronting somebody, when you, you are disciplining somebody or correcting somebody, um, I know the, the one thing I really desire for them to know is that I love them. You know, if I didn't love them, I wouldn't care. You know, let them go on, do their thing. Um, who cares? Um, you know, I, when, when I have to sit down with somebody, um, I want them to know that I love them deeply. Um, and... Um, and, and the same for when people have had to discipline and correct me. Um, you know, my parents were always great with that. They helped me understand, you know, we're not disciplining you because we're trying to cast you out or because we don't love you anymore. We love you so much that we have to uh, point this out to you, that we have to discipline you, that we have to correct you. Um, so uh, perhaps that's, that's part of uh, God's appeal to the Israelites. On the other hand... Um, the Israelites were um, clearly um, testing God in their, their thoughts and their attitudes. We see later on that they were questioning God's justice. They were questioning God's loyalty to them. I mean, and, and things that are convicting to me because I say, well, I wouldn't do that. I mean, question God's loyalty. But, you know, how many times do you doubt God? Man, is God really going to provide for me? Is God really going to come through on this? Um, man, this, I'm going through this terrible situation. Where is God in all this? So there's going to be some great reminders to us, um, things that I've already been convicted about, of thinking, you know what, 
um, I need to watch my attitude. Um, um, so Malachi begins the message by reminding Israel of God's love for them and stating how it's been demonstrated. And in doing so, I think he offers an unquestionable basis for the message of discipline that's to come. All right, and in the next few weeks, that's what we're going to delve into here. Um, now, just as God spoke through Malachi um, to discipline the people that he loved, I'm confident that God desires to speak to us during the next few weeks here as we study the book of Malachi and improve some areas in our lives. I believe God's going to speak to us regarding the offense of worshiping God with our mouths but not our actions and remind us what it means to truly offer God our best and attribute worth to him. I believe God's going to speak to us regarding the problem of using his word to promote our own agendas instead of his and remind us that we need to teach his word without partiality. I believe God's going to speak to us regarding our warped views of marriage and remind us of the sanctity of marriage and his fierce opposition to divorce. I believe God's going to speak to us regarding our failure to provide financially for his work and remind us that he desires to have precedence when it comes to our finances. And I believe God is prepared to richly bless us if we are willing to accept his discipline and genuinely yield these areas of our lives to him. Here comes the challenge. As we discussed earlier, submitting to correction is not easy. Um, I, I think it's going to take the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to um, help us come to the point where we're willing to respond submissively to God's discipline and learn the things that he wants us to learn as we go through the book of Malachi. Um, interestingly, that very exhortation that we read in the book of Proverbs that was written to the Israelites back then is reiterated to us in the New Testament. And it's found in Hebrews 12, 5, and 6. Sam, that, that's the next slide there. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Oh, that's the end of the slideshow. Sorry. Um, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Um, I want to challenge you this week to begin praying for God to open your heart and be ready to accept and apply the things that he wants to teach us throughout this series. And um, I, I, I would ask you to pray specifically that God will, um, that God will remove any thoughts or attitudes that will hinder you from really responding in obedience to um, what he wants to teach us. Um, here's the exciting part. I honestly believe that as we respond in obedience to God's correction that we're going to start seeing some wonderful things happen um, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, um, in our, um, and, and even here in our church. Um, imagine the difference it will make in our worship as we mold our lifestyles to genuinely proclaim that to us, God is worthy. Imagine the difference it will make in our ministry to believers and unbelievers alike as we're faithful to teach the whole truth of God's word without compromise. And imagine the difference it will make in our marriages 
as we renew our commitment to hold our marriages in honor and relate to our spouse in a way that vividly portrays Christ and his church. And imagine the difference it will make as we purpose to give God first place in our management of finances, generously providing for his work and permitting him to generously provide for us. Guys, I honestly believe that God has some amazing things in store for us um, if we're willing to listen to him as he speaks to us during this uh, study in Malachi the next few weeks. Um, Let's go ahead and pray, and then I'll turn it back to our uh, music team here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message that you sent to the people of Israel through Malachi. Uh, Please give us understanding and discernment as we read through these chapters. Help us to um, truly understand Uh, your message to them and how it applies to us today, Father, how these words um, from so long ago are still living and active and apply to our lives. Um, Help us to know how they apply and let your spirit do a wonderful work in our hearts and minds to to mold us better into the, the people that you desire for us to be. Father, I pray that we would be, um, that we would respond in obedience to the things that you want to teach us, Father. And I know there are going to be some difficult things coming up. Um, Father, I ask that for myself and for our church family, that uh, you would help us to learn together, to grow together, and be willing to, um, to change things together um, as we uh, discover how to better serve you. And we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.